Good morning, Times Square Church. You know, the Bible is not outdated. It's just unread. And it seems that God comes to conclusions, correct conclusions, way before man even comes to them. It seems that it takes our government millions of dollars and, and years of research to come to conclusions that God has already come to in his word. And God makes it so much simpler when he speaks the conclusion to us. It's almost as if God was saying, if you just would have listened in the first place, you wouldn't have to spend all this time, energy, and resources to come to a conclusion I've already given to you in my word. God gives the conclusion while people spend the time on research. Here's one of those studies that I think God's conclusion already comes to us, but I want you to see the study in just a few moments here. It's a study on gratitude and thanksgiving. In fact, they're calling now, our government is calling gratitude the new miracle emotion. They say it because it can change your life. It was done by Dr. Jeremy Dean, and he said, when people are grateful and have thanksgiving in their heart, he says there's 10 things that begins to happen to them. He says, one, they become happier. Because the effects of practicing thank yous and gratitude makes you much, much happier in, in, in your setting and your surroundings. He also says people become more satisfied. People who feel more grateful feel more satisfied with their lives. Gratitude better enables them to notice things they do have rather than mourning the things that they don't have. It also says it motivates others. This is crazy. When we say thank you to others, it says that expression begins is a powerful motivator to people want to do it again. In fact, it said in the study that a thank you email from a company makes people want to respond to help more than a request email. He goes on to say it reduces materialism. Gratitude can begin to combat materialism by helping us appreciate what we already have and not what we're wanting to get. He goes on to say it increases self-control. This is amazing. The feeling of gratitude, it says, can literally help people make the right decisions because when there's ingratitude, you begin to have things like envy and, and things that begin to take place are impulsive uh, decisions from frustration. It literally, gratitude can save you money, the study said, from an even impulsive buying. It also enriches our children. One study found that kids that are more grateful feel more meaning, get more satisfaction in their life. In fact, it says it's linked with skills of cooperation. It also improves your relationships. Being grateful to your partner for little kindnesses begins to make relationships even long term. A couple more, it says it builds social ties. Who wants to hang out with selfish people? I'd rather hang out with people that have thanksgiving and are grateful for what they have in their lives. It also gives them, boy, do we need this today, better health. Because gratitude has been linked to a better physical health, especially better sleep, lower levels of stress is what even gratitude does. And finally, resilience. It's the capacity to recover even from difficulties and setbacks. Now, that's what the government spent millions of dollars and years to come to when God simply says this. You ready for this? God's conclusion from his word, not outdated, just unread, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Here it is. Boy, and we need to hear this in the season that we're in. In everything, give thanks. How come? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, it's crazy. Even another version says it like this. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you because for those who belong to Christ Jesus. When I think of Paul's words, 
in everything, give thanks. Can I tell you my first response, especially in the season we're in as, as a people, on, not only in our country, but around the world, the first reaction is everything, Paul? Really? Everything? And then I began to realize that Paul was teaching us something. And I want to give you just today and help us and instruct us and give us something for our new journey today, what I call three gratitude thoughts. Because I want you to see what we are to do, why we are to do it, and how it's going to help us on this journey. I mean, people are dealing with fear and anxiety, and those are all good things to deal with. But I want to give you something else that Paul says. These are three gratitude thoughts to help us. The what, the why, and the how. Let me give it to you today because I want you to understand. Because Paul tells us, I mean, Isaiah begins to prophesy to us. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20, Isaiah says these words, The Lord will make you go through hard times, but he himself will be there to teach you. Wow, that's good. Let me give that to you one more time. It says, the Lord will make you go through hard times. And we are in those moments, those times. But he says, but he himself will be there to teach you. And I think he's gonna help us and teach us and give us something so valuable for this journey called gratitude. Let me tell you, let me give you the first one. Number one, what are you to do? And this is what Paul says, give thanks in everything. Now that sounds crazy because in everything, Paul says, and no matter what happens, give thanks. Now remember, what Paul said are really two important words here. Listen, listen to them. He says everything, and then it's the word in. He said everything, not just good stuff, not just the stuff that makes you want to be grateful, but he says everything. Everything, you ready for this, is everything. That's what's incredible. See, and then the most important word, the smallest word in this, is in he says, now get this, in everything, not for everything. This is huge. Because he is saying that while you are in that situation, we give thanks. Let's be honest. It's hard to give thanks for what we're going through, that situation, while we're in it. It's hard to give thanks um, in quarantine, in my apartment, in that small room, in limbo of whether I'm going to have a job. But Paul says, I'm not asking you to give thanks simply for what's going on, but I'm telling you, while you're in those things, you can have a grateful heart. We can give thanks is what Paul says. We live in a generation that does not give thanks because we live in a generation that feels entitled. One pastor says it like this, you can't be grateful for something you feel entitled to. Boy, let me say that again. He says, you can't be grateful for things you feel entitled to. And that's why Paul is reminding us that we can do this in everything. I read the crazy story all the way back in 1988. All in, in, the, in the country of Poland, Jan, Jan Grzecki began to was hit by a train and was put into a coma and was in that coma, you ready for this, until 2007. Almost 20 years, that man was on life support and in a, in a coma. Think how crazy that is. He awoke in 2007, the story says, to a whole new world. 19 years later, Poland was a communist state when he was hit by a train. And Grzecki said he noted that when, when they were rationing food, huge food lines back in 1988, and at nearly every gas station there were lines just to get a, gallon of ga a couple gallons of gas. He says there was only tea and vinegar in the shops. 
But 19 years later, he woke up and there was a free nation where he said people were on the streets. There was this thing called cell phones. So many goods in the shop. There were so many choices to choose from. When, when he was looking at the shops, that we only saw vinegar and tea in those shops. But something puzzled him. Listen to what he wrote in this article. He says, what amazed me is that all these people walking around with their mobile phones and none of them stopped moaning and groaning. He said he couldn't believe it. These people had freedom, food, and wealth greater than Poland had ever had for decades. And yet Grzezewski woke up to find that all of them seemed that they wanted more and they began to grumble. Oh my goodness, this is incredible. Because if you don't get into the habit of thanking God for what you do have, we'll be, become ungrateful because of, of the things that we wish we would have instead of going, thank you for what you've already given to me. Listen to what Romans says. Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul begins to describe where rebellion begins to be, where rebellion begins. He says, even though they knew, they, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Listen to these words, or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation as their foolish heart was dark. Listen to that. They didn't honor him or give him thanks. But all of a sudden, their mind began to be affected with futile speculations and their foolish heart became darkened and it went back to not honoring who God was and not giving him thanks. One person said it like this, rebellion against God doesn't begin with a clenched fist of, re- of atheism, but, but it's with a self-satisfied heart that forgets to say thank you to God. Think about that. That's where it all begins. But it's, it's, it's something, it's realizing that tithing is, an, is, is acknowledging that God has blessed me. And I want to begin to give him back something that he has blessed me with. Praise is an acknowledgement of thanksgiving. Just like tithing is. Tithing says thank you. Praise says thank you for not only who God is, but for what God has done in our lives. The indictment of this generation is to know God, but not to honor him, like Paul said, as God. There is a poet from 200 years ago, George Herbert, who said these words. Listen to these simple words. He, he said this in one, of his, in one of his pieces of prose. He says, thou who hast given so much to me, give me one more thing. Give me a grateful heart. Not for everything, but in everything. Let me, let me tell you the second thing, and this is the why part. Number two is so important. And I think Paul answers this in a Romans passage That is so powerful. Listen to Paul's words in Romans chapter five. He says, we exalt in our tribulations. Kind of sounds like in everything, give thanks. He's talking about exalting, praising in our tribulation. Why? Knowing that tribulation, what we're going through, whether it is limbo, quarantine, COVID, it doesn't matter, brings about, what is it gonna do for us? Perseverance, perseverance, proving character, proving character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let me read this from a a paraphrase version. This is so good from the Living Bible. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they are good for us for they help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time. We use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and they're steady. Oh my goodness. If number one, the Apostle Paul is saying to us, you give thanks 
for everything and not while you're in everything. Let me give you what number two says. Number two is the why part. It's why I do this. I come out better than how I went in. That's what blows me away. It's I come out a better person. You know, I was reading a a leadership magazine a few years ago and it was talking about the top, the top business leaders are going, what is, it, what is it that makes somebody a great leader? What is it that they found? And as they were going through this, some of the top leaders in the country, they said, is it lifelong students? Is it, is it the right mentor? And I want you to get what they said. They came down to one simple answer and they said this, we've come to believe it has something to do with different ways that people deal with adversity. Indeed, our research has led us to conclude that one of the most reliable indicators and predictors of true leadership is an individual's ability to find meaning in negative events and to learn from the most trying circumstances. This is exactly what Paul's telling us in Romans chapter 5. Thank you, God. It's not outdated, just unread. While leadership um, symposiums are trying to figure out what makes a leader a great leader, Apostle Paul says, Romans chapter five. While we're trying to figure out and spend millions of dollars for the miracle drug or the miracle emotion of gratitude, God goes, in everything, just give thanks. Not, it's not outdated, it's just unread. Think about this. They are just confirming Paul's reason that in the diff- most difficult times, you are building something. You're building proven character, perseverance, and hope. Here, here's an action step for you today. I wanna encourage you to do something when you, when you have the opportunity to talk to people from six feet apart, um, ask people about their toughest moments in life. Something like this. What was the hardest thing you've ever gone through and what was the lesson that you learned in that? Listen to people speak on the other side of their pain. I'm telling you, you will be, a, you will be enriched and receive such value from that. G.K. Chesterton said it like this. He said, there are no uninteresting people, just uninterested people. Oh my goodness. Listen to that again. Because we don't talk to people enough to find out their journey and their story. To see how the perseverance, the proven character. When I think of friends that I have in the ministry like and, and, and what they have faced. Man, it just takes a couple questions to, to have your own heart challenged. And your own heart encouraged to go on in this journey. And Chesterton said it like this, there are no uninteresting people, just uninterested people. I want to be interested. And that's why this becomes so important. You know, there's a fight that goes on between people all the time. You hear this in the sports world. Who's the best? Who's the greatest ball player? Is it Jordan or LeBron? Who's the greatest player? And you know what I'm blown away with? Because there's a name that doesn't come up and there's a name that's easily forgotten. In fact, My father worked with his father. When my dad was on the New York City Police Department, one of of the officers used to say, Captain Delaney, you need to come and see my son play basketball. He's amazing. And uh, I'm not sure if my father ever went to see Lou Alcindor play ball, but Lou Alcindor Sr. said, my son is a really good ball player. And his name eventually changed to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In fact, what people forget is as they're discussing LeBron James and, and Michael Jordan, they forget above them the person that has scored the most points in NBA history is not Jordan and it's not LeBron, but the person that's, that's head and shoulders above all of them is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But what's amazing to me is this. 
Because think about this. It's, it's, I come out better on the other side of this. Let me tell you what I mean. It was, it was in his book, John Wooden's book on his observations and what he's learned in all those years of coaching at UCLA and became the coach of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Lou Alcindor at that time. And what was crazy was in the 1966 and 67 season as UCLA is just winning all of these national championships, 10 national championships, they said right in the middle of this run, the, the NCAA begins to ban for seven foot four Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they ban for one year the slam dunk because Kareem was, was slam dunking over everybody. And it was at that moment that Lou Alcindor thought to himself, this is racist, this is, this is something where the nation was facing the civil rights problems. And, and even John Wooden um, was, was not disagreeing with, with Lou Alcindor, but he wanted to quit at that time. Think about that. The leading scorer of NBA history wanted to quit when they took away the slam dunk, which, which he was scoring so prolifically with. But this is what's amazing. Coach Wooden said this. He said, Lou... He said, they've taken something away from you, but now you're going to have to press through adversity. Remember number two, I come out of this better than I went in. They took away what, what seemed to be the very thing that he used, his weapon. And this is what Coach Wooden said. He said, Lou, what I need you to do is, he said, he said Lewis, this will make you a better player. You're going to have to work harder and developing a shot that, that begins to go above and beyond anything that these people ever knew. And for those that follow the NBA in these civil rights turmoil and turbulence, it says that history tells us and UCLA history tells us that Lou Alcindor comes out with the most indefensible shot ever in NBA history. It was called the sky hook. A seven foot four center would take a hook shot that no one could block, no one could defend against. And all of a sudden he comes out of of turbulent times with a sky hook and eventually takes him into the NBA and makes him the highest scorer in NBA history. I believe that no matter what we're in, according to what the Apostle Paul says, he says every, every one of us as Christians have to come out of this difficulty with a sky hook that's going to make us better than we've ever been before. Just as Lou Alcindor comes out and becomes the most prolific scorer in NBA history, greater than Jordan, greater than LeBron, because he went through a hard time and comes out with a skyhook. I believe you're going to come out of this season. You're going to come out of this moment that you're in with something that you didn't have when you first went into it. We're going to come out looking better. And I want, I want to hear people's stories. I want to hear your story of the skyhook that you came out of this with. It is, it's like C.S. Lewis said, he said, God allows us to experience the low points of life in order to teach us lessons that we couldn't have learned in any other way. Remember this, one, is it in? No, four, we give thanks for everything. Secondly, why? Because I'm gonna come out of this season better than I went in. And let me just give you this finally, how gratitude helps. This is the, not only the what, give thanks in, the why, I come out better, but the how. How does gratitude help? We, we, we know why, but sometimes we don't know how. I took a car ride a few years ago with who I consider one of the best college chaplains that I know in the country. He is, he is a godly man. 
And I remember him calling me up before I went there to speak to the student body. He's been at this school discipling, winning students to the Lord for 35 years, and he's seen God do amazing things. And Chaplain Ron has been a friend um, and someone I, I'm honored to call friend. He was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, and it looked very serious. He called me when he was diagnosed, and we began to pray together. And this is what he said. We prayed but he told me what he was learning. He was telling me, listen to this, what the skyhook was in this. He gave me Proverbs 17.3, and this is what Chaplain Ron said. He said, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. And Ron said when he was diagnosed with cancer, this is what he knew. He knew God would either heal him, this is so powerful, either God would heal him or he will show the student body at this university on how to die well as a Christian. Listen to that. He said God, God was refining him, refining him. And he said either, either he is going to be healed or he's going to teach. Chaplain Ron said, I'm going to teach that student body on how to die well. Man, he said this is why the Lord was testing our heart. I, I want he, he then went on to speak about Isaiah 48.10. He says, I refined you. This is what God said. I refined you in the furnace of affliction, but found no silver there. Yet you are worthless with nothing good at all in you. He says, when the, when the molding and the melting came. This is, this is what Ron was teaching me. He says this. You go into the furnace solid, hard. You go into the furnace of affliction. You go into those, into those moments, into the season that we're going to now. We go in hard because you can't mold hard metals. You can't mold gold without a furnace. You can't mold silver without a furnace. It has to experience the heat. See, get this now. We become moldable in the fire. That's why God sends us in. This is what Ron was teaching me. That's how gold and silver is changed into necklaces and bracelets that you wear. It's, you don't just get gold and put it on your neck. It has to experience fire. They are put in the fire not only to purify them, but get this, but to change their shape. See, what you were before the furnace, what you were before affliction, what you were before a painful season is not what you have to be when you go through the fire. Because the refiner's fire changes the shape of us, our hearts, our lives, get this, while we're in the fire. The refiner begins to change the shape of the gold to what he wants it to look like. That while in our situation, God changes us. He makes us moldable. That's what the fire does. We weren't moldable before this season. We weren't moldable before the affliction. We weren't moldable before we walked into this. So really, we're getting ready. Get this. We're getting ready after this to be in the best shape of our lives because of what God is getting and molding inside of us and doing deep inside of us. So here's what we're learning. When, when, when God says, when God says, remember, this book, it's not outdated, it's just unread. After years and money, the resources from, the, from, the, from our government that says that, that gratitude is the new miracle emotion, God already said that in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give thanks. Why? Because I come out better than I went in. How? Because now it becomes easier, God, for you to mold and to change my heart. He changes, get this, he changes my character by softening and making me moldable. Keep this in mind. There are some strong people out there that you don't know how long we need to be in that fire. 
There are some strong wills. There are some hard-headed people. And God goes, I just heated up a furnace because I'm gonna make you moldable. I'm gonna get you to the place that you need to be. That's what makes this amazing. God always sees the end of the furnace, the end of this season, the end of what we're going through and the end of the fire. That, that when we're in it, he's not offended at that. He's not offended at our talks and our attitudes while he's molding us and making us. God, God, sees, God sees the end for you. God sees what's gonna happen when this season is over, when we're out of the furnace. He sees what he's shaping you in. You know, one of the things that I love is James 5.11. You wanna talk about the great heart of God? Listen to these words, James 5.11. Just these, these five words, remember the patience of Job. Think of, think of all those chapters that we have in the book of Job. And God didn't say, remember the complaining of Job? Remember the murmuring of Job? The cursing of Job? The negativity of Job? God never says any of that. What he says is, remember the patience. And I'm looking at this going like, I read this, I don't see a lot of patience. Maybe a few bright spots. But God sees what he's making his children going. Job, once I get you through this, I'm putting you in the book of James and people are gonna remember this of what you've done. God looks upon the pearl of the person, not the spot on people's heart. How can I give thanks to God when all this has happened to me? How can bad things happen? Some people are literally asking, how can bad things happen to good people? Well, when we ask questions like that, we begin to discredit Jesus because now we've just placed ourselves on the Jesus level because Jesus said there's only one person that's good and that's God. But we're saying, well, how come bad things happen to good people? And God goes, whoa, 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 wait. There's only one good person. That's God himself. And that's where we have to become real careful. Because, so does it make sense that bad things happen to bad people? That makes sense. But the only way to become good is really through Jesus Christ. That's what makes this so important. Do you understand that we take approximately 23,000 breaths every single day? But when was the last time yesterday in those 23,000 that you thank God for just even one of them? People today are fighting on ventilators just to breathe. And you're listening to this 23,000 breaths today. And some of, and many of you, most of you are not on a ventilator, but how about coming to the point and going, God, 23,000 breaths. How many of those am I going to use to thank you today for what you've done? The process of inhaling oxygen, exhaling carbon dioxide is, is complicated respiratory task that requires this physiological precision. And God goes, when have you just thanked me for breathing today? That you're not on a ventilator. That you're breathing freely. We tend to thank God for the things that take our breath away. And that's fine. But maybe we should thank him for every breath also. That's what God is asking us for. That's what God is wanting to do. And with that breath that you have, the breathing that you have, can I tell you the greatest thing you can do if you're breathing today, if you've never done this? Because you being alive now is fantastic. But God came and sent his son 2,000 years ago, not that you can keep breathing today, but that you would breathe for eternity, forever, eternal life. That's what he's come for. And that's what I don't want you to miss today. I want you to use one of those 23,000 breaths that you're taking to breathe out the most 
important prayer that you can ever pray, to answer the most important question that you can ever answer today. I want you to use those 23,000 breaths that you have right now to answer this question, have I been born again? Now that's an important word. Let me tell you why that's important. Because this word, being born again, it's not a Times Square church word. It's not a, it's not a Protestant word. It's not a Catholic word. It's not a, it's, it's not a religious word. It's a Jesus word. And Jesus is this. In all those breaths that I give you every single day of your life, 23,000, every single day, every single day, the greatest thing you can do with one of those breaths, with, with a series of those breaths, is begin to answer the question, have I been born again? Because Jesus says no man in John 3, 3 can see the kingdom of God unless they've been born again. And you may be here today and go, Pastor Tim, how, how do I become that? How, do, how, how, how can I be born again? Well, just like we would tell a child to learn your ABCs, which is the elementary principles, I think it's that simple in being born again. I, I can give it to you in ABC, just three simple letters to remember three words. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner. So when I get honest with God that all of us, starting with me, have a condition that's called sin. And this condition that we have sin can't be fixed with a promise, can't be fixed with a program, a pastor, a priest. We can't fix it ourselves. We, we need help to fix it. I, I am broken inside. I have a diagnosis of sin. And I have to admit today I'm a sinner. One pastor said it like this. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. And then that second birth starts with the B word, believe. Believing that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition because I can't fix myself. Because since I'm not born, none of us are born a floor model, assembly required, God had to send his son. If, if we could fix ourselves, listen to me close, if we could fix ourselves, then God putting his son through the suffering that he went through that we celebrated last week is the ultimate case of child abuse, but we can't fix ourselves. If I could, if I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus wouldn't have to come and die on the cross because some people think, well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm good. I've been baptized. I've had communion. I go to church. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. And if Jesus says must in John 3, 5, let's not make must optional. This is what Jesus said. He died a death that I should have died. He lived a life I couldn't live and gave me a reward, heaven, eternal life that I didn't even deserve. And finally, it's C. It was so important. It's confessing him as Lord. Sometimes we skip over that word Lord, but Romans 10, 9, and 10 really remind us on how important that word is. Confessing him as Lord, which means the boss. You're in charge now. You're in charge of my life. Do you think that God sent his son to die on a cross to go through the suffering that he did just to get people to sit in church for an hour on Sunday? You think that was his goal, was to go, my, the reason why I'm gonna send Jesus to live on this planet for 33 years is so people will go to church for a couple hours on Sunday. Not at all. In fact, we can't even be in church today. You have to, you're, you're watching online. God's goal is not to get you to church. God's goal is to get you to heaven. Coming to church on Sunday is religion. Being born again, that's a relationship. Christianity is not coming to a place. Christianity is coming to a person. And when you call him Lord, you're saying you're a boss. Lord means you don't just get Sundays. It means you have every day. And folks, the reason why Jesus calls it being born again is because just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. 
Your first birth was in a hospital. But if you're sitting out there watching today, listening, whether it's on a phone, whether it's on your television, or whether it's on your laptop, now is the time for you to use one of those 23,000 breaths to go, I want to be born again. This can happen right now. This, this very moment, it can happen right now. You know, wherever you're watching, if you're at home, if you're, if you're in a kitchen, if you're in the living room, wherever you're at, in your apartment, here's what I want you to do. If you're going, Pastor Tim, I, I want to start that journey today, but I'm not perfect, Pastor Tim. Let, let me just help you. Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Well, how does, how does this happen, Pastor Tim? But this is what I want you to do. I want you right now to pray this prayer with me. You can have your eyes open, you have them closed. But I'm going to pray a prayer, a born-again prayer that just says, I want to start the journey. I admit I'm a sinner. And all, it's going to have all those elements. I'm going to admit that I'm a sinner. I believe, I believe in you, Jesus, that you are my sin-bearer, and I'm, I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. You're in charge now. If, that, if you want to start that journey today, I'm inviting you to that relationship. I'm inviting you to eternal life, to use, to use your 23,000 breaths today that you're giving thanks, going, God, you've given me life so I can have eternal life. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Say these words out loud, out loud in your living room, in your kitchen. Say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it out loud now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, wherever you're at, would you just thank God right now that you used one of your 23,000 breaths to, do the mo to make the most important decision of your life. You decided today that I'm going to be born again and start a relationship and begin a relationship with God. Really, you have just begun a journey all the way into eternal life with God the Father. Hey, I want you to do me a favor today. If you're watching this and wherever, on a, on a cell phone, on a TV set, on a laptop, if you're watching this right now, I want you to do me a favor. Take, the, take your phone out right now and I want you to text the word decided because that's what you made you did you made a decision today text decided to 88202 because what you're saying i want you to to tell us i've decided to be born again today i've decided to use one of my 23,000 breaths today to say thank you god for sending jesus to die on the cross for me and i've decided today with one of my 23,000 breaths not only to pray this prayer but to begin a journey that is going to be life changing for eternity it's you just gave thanks with your life today by being born again. I'm so excited for you. So text decided to 88202, 88202. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited for what God has ahead for you. And it's a, our joy that once we get those texts, we'll be able to respond back to you and to help you with next steps 
on this journey here at Times Square Church. Remember, this book is not outdated. It's just unread. God bless you, Times Square Church.